Hello there. Welcome to Inspired a Galaxy. In this segment of the ORP, we discuss the artists and stories that inspired us and hope that they inspire you. And now, we present the episode. All right, everyone out there. Today, we're doing a really special inspired a galaxy because we're going back to like the root i think cassio when you first dreamt up um inspired a galaxy um you're thinking about things you know that inspired you obviously but you know kind of things that inspired star wars and the worlds of star wars and you know george lucas uh himself and today we're talking about one of the most kind of fundamental influences of george lucas and that is the uh film the 1958 kira kurosawa film hidden fortress yeah, it's a film that is, it's inspired a lot of Hollywood, like Akira Kurosawa films, and it, it's funny, because back in high school, I was like, what inspired George Lucas? And, like, the three main things that came up were The Hero with a Thousand Faces, The Hidden Fortress, and Flash Gordon, and it was kind of hard to get a lot of, like, your hands on things like pre-streaming and like pre-movies on the internet so like i didn't really see the hidden fortress until 2020 um which is actually kind of funny because the you know the barnes and noble like half off criterion collection thing i didn't really understand what that was until like last year because like i even think i saw the hidden fortress like for half off at a barnes and noble once but I'm like, that deal sounds too good to be true. But it's like, <laughs> I could have had the Hidden Fortress like all these years sooner if I would have realized that. But yeah. That's right. Yeah, that was like your uh, your bounty of uh, gold that kept eluding you, uh, like our uh, uh-huh. peasants here uh, in the film. Um, but before we get into that, um, we thought we should probably bring a guest on to help us talk about uh, this film and kind of the inspiration of all of it and, you know, get into the into the nitty gritty of this thing. Uh, so we're bringing back onto the podcast. Uh, you might uh, know him from our Last of Us episode uh, when we were talking about the uh, HBO series and the, the video game there. But Al is back joining us again today al welcome back to the podcast how are you doing doing great thanks for having me on yeah absolutely thank you so much for uh coming back on um i know you're excited to talk about uh the hidden fortress but uh catch us up al what have you been up to since we talked about the last of us oh that's a good question i don't quite remember when we did the last of us one but in the meantime i've been uh I've, I've always loved movies, but now I'm actually started working on some like film sets and stuff like that. So helped out uh, recently. I was just doing some production assisting work on a, on like a, a shoe commercial and helping somebody with a feature film. So now I'm getting into the other side of filmmaking or like rather movies, uh, the filmmaking side rather than just the critiquing. So giving me a brand new outlook on how, how movies are made. Oh, very cool. That's very awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so you've been doing, you know, uh, movie critiquing. I know, um, you know, you and Cassie have, you know, discussed film and story structure, um, mm-hmm. like that for, you know, going back for a long time now, um, you have, um, your, uh, your digital uh, magazine that you put together and stuff and, uh, yeah. other, uh, podcast interests and things like that. Uh, what has been your big takeaway now that you've been on kind of the production side of it? Was there anything that was surprising about it or? Um, you know, it's, 
it was really surprising to me just to see the differences in directing styles. Like I've always heard, you know, every director is different. They all, but it didn't really quite click with me the way that some directors do it. You know, on the feature film that I was helping out with, these people, it was really like run and gun type thing. So like they had very limited supplies and actors and crew and stuff like that. And so we were just like, did we get the shot? Okay, move on. Like we were trying to get it in one to three takes or something like that. Maybe get an extra for safety, but uh, then versus like on a bigger on a bigger twenty five person set, you know, we were doing takes repeatedly. It just seemed like, oh man, I can't believe how many times uh, that they kind of do some of this stuff. So it was it was more so just uh, seeing how some of the directors just choose to have a million takes or like we got it let's quit rolling tape. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I don't have any uh, experience really in doing any uh, directing myself, but I have been um, at the uh, at the mercy of Cassie's directing uh, for the audio drama, <laughs> so I can only imagine you know uh, the the differences there. Um, and that actually is a great transition because directors is one of the big reasons that we we're talking about the Hidden Fortress today. So um, obviously, you know George Lucas, um, our beloved uh, creator of Star Wars, owed a lot of. Um, kind of the Star Wars formula and his own sort of ideals about movie making to Akira Kurosawa, um, and especially the film of The Hidden Fortress. But yeah, like what blows my mind is this came out in 1958, so like pre a lot of stuff going on, but I just think it's, uh, I think it's cool that this inspired George Lucas, and I mean, we can kind of get into it, but the too long didn't listen is it's a great movie and even if you like aren't as interested in its connections to a new hope and star wars like it's a solid film on its own and i think it's a good introduction film to get westerners into akira kurosawa and uh, more japanese and more international films uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, Akira Kurosawa, you know, directed a bunch of uh, films that you um, might have heard of or you might have, you know, had the opportunity to see kind of before this one, you know, at least for like like a Western audience, you know, you know, growing up, you know, kind of in the 80s and 90s when I did, um, you'd hear of things like uh, Ikaru and Seven Samurai. Um, but really, you know, Kurosawa's you know, directorial debut goes all the way back to 1943. So, I mean, it was, you know, 15 years in the making before uh, Hidden Fortress came along. And, you know, presumably, you know, George Lucas being, you know, kind of this uh, this student of film and uh, directing probably knew uh, kind of more of that work, but uh, really drew a lot of inspiration here from the Hidden Fortress. So I'm going to take this right here. It's from the Star Wars Year by Year uh, Visual Chronicle uh, written by uh, the late J.W. Rinsler. This is from the uh, 2010 edition of that. But um, uh, in the 1973 section here, under Organizing Ideas, it says, while working on his science fiction story, Lucas reviews Akira Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress and draws inspiration from the characters and situations. Um, so we've got there, and obviously, uh, I mean, you turn on Hidden Fortress and uh, pretty much straight off the bat, you're like, oh, okay, that's where R2-D2 and C-3PO uh, come from. But apparently there was also uh, here, and this comes from uh, 1975, 
Um, and it appears, uh, says that Lucas, influenced by his admiration for Kurosawa, uh, toys with the idea of casting a Japanese actor, possibly Toshiro Mifune, uh, from The Hidden Fortress for the role of Ben Kenobi, which obviously, you know, went on to um, uh, Alec Guinness, of course, obviously. But I think that that's that's interesting that, you know, he drew uh, so much inspiration from it and then, you know, was kind of visualizing putting the story together and, you know, utilizing, uh, you know, similar similar characters and uh, similar actors um, in these roles of the story he was writing. Yeah, in some ways, I can't imagine Obi-Wan being anyone but Alec Guinness, but I had heard that uh, uh, Mifune was considered for Obi-Wan and like. It just kind of, like, is a cool thought experiment to think about, like, how Star Wars could have been different. Like, would it have taken off, you know? Like, uh, if, like, that had been casted differently and just, yeah, it's, it's a cool thought experiment. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I didn't, I was not even aware that Toshiro Mifune, like, actually spoke English. Because I'm assuming he would have wanted him to speak English for... Star Wars. Yeah, I would, I would, I would imagine so. I would think at least. Um, uh, but I don't, I don't know for sure. But yeah, that was interesting. I had never really um, stumbled across that. You know, I'd flipped through the the year by year dictionary, you know, several times, and I never really paid um, uh, much attention to that, or you know, I wasn't really thinking about it in the context of you know actually going to be speaking about the Hidden Fortress. So kind of in one ear out the other. But yeah, I was really interested, or I thought that that was very interesting when I uh, found that little snippet today. So uh, yeah, it's definitely weird to think, you know, obviously now as beloved as you know Alec Guinness as as Obi Wan uh, Kenobi to ever you know imagine someone else. But you know, if I if I take a step back and you know just uh, go on my recent watch here of the Hidden Fortress, then yeah, I could definitely I could definitely see where that inspiration came from. Yeah, I I like how this film kind of just throws you into the middle of everything. It doesn't explain, like, what the war was that they were fighting as much as some modern films might. Um, And I think, like Lucas has said, like, the primary influence on A New Hope was you kind of have a story told through two lesser characters, like... Uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO and in this movie you have the two thieves it's mm-hmm. not like the, the general and the princess but even in the two thieves I saw a little bit of elements of Luke and Han uh, what about you guys? That's interesting I yeah I definitely I, I definitely see them as, as like the Han Solo type where you know they're kind of greedy they want money they're not really in it for for moral reasons or anything at uh, yeah, so I, I definitely see that. Um, there was like one part at the very beginning where, you know, because there is like a little bit of a height difference between the two the two peasants. Uh, what is it, Tahe and Matashichi? Um, and like the shorter one, he's he's kind of wearing this basket on his back, and so it like really made it seem like it was R two D two and and C three P O in there. They have, like, some of those kind of little quippy one-liners back and forth to each other. Yeah. It really reminded me of Star Wars Visions, like, seasons one and two, but especially one, um, which I kind of love. Like, it was kind of like Star Wars was coming full circle and kind of acknowledging um, even more so the connection uh, with Japanese cinema and especially Akira Kurosawa. 
Mm-hmm. Um, did any of you get Visions vibes? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just kind of in the, um, you know, in the the cultural similarities and the way that the the stories are being t- told, and even you know, in kind of the way that the princess is uh, holding herself, you know, felt very um, much like something that might have been you know adapted and drawn into visions uh there uh absolutely there were a lot of uh, kind of parallels um you know kind of with the with the characters and um you know who you know the characters in star wars ultimately became so you know you'd mentioned uh han solo um there's another um woman that gets you know kind of brought into the into the party uh as we go and you know there's kind of a, a situation where you know these people are on the run and we'll get back into the story here a little bit um but you know they're they're on the run and there's a reward being given for this princess and and you see her kind of reading that and then uh kind of her reaction um towards you know the general then is is very kind of ambiguous and you don't know uh whether she's going to you know uh do good or do bad but then ultimately does good so i saw some kind of han solo uh comparisons there uh within her within mm-hmm. that character too so um let's uh, i'm just going to give kind of this little brief synopsis here of of the film uh, it covers you know a, a fair bit of ground the story itself is kind of small but it has kind of a, a pretty large scope i think but um this is uh, straight off of the uh, the wikipedia uh, description here but it says uh, it tells the story of two peasants who agree to escort a man and woman across enemy lines in return for gold uh, without knowing that the man and the woman are a general and the woman is the princess um, so that's kind of the the story set up there if you're listening to this and you've never had the chance to see hidden fortress uh, that's kind of what it's about you have these two peasants and they come in you know kind of straight off the story and yeah very much r2d2 and c3po uh, on the Tatooine desert there like even um, in the english you know subtitles of this like some of the lines are even like <laughs> extremely close to kind of the conversation that c3po and uh you would imagine r2d2 to be uh retorting uh to him there as they've you know crashed onto onto tatooine but that kind of gets the the story set up they they find some gold and then stumble into this uh hidden fortress and go off on this on this adventure and then that's kind of the kind of the the heartbeat of the story as it plays out is is this adventure that that they're going on even more so than you know protecting this gold and you know reestablishing the kingdom it's all about kind of this journey that these characters go on just as a maybe a quick aside i'm curious for both of you uh, what was your first akira kurosawa film that you that you remember seeing so that's kind of a fun story um and by fun i mean it was like during like the onslaught of corona like march 2020 um like just like a lot was happening and just kind of had to do a lot and kind of just like in lockdown with lots of people and just was busy uh things weren't ideal and in some ways, like, it was kind of like, um, my love and curiosity for Star Wars that, like, uh, kind of helped get me through a bit of Corona, um, because I was thinking, like, I love Star Wars, but, and I love KOTOR, but, like, what kind of inspired Star Wars, and I was kind of, like, looking at, um, a list of films and different things that inspired George Lucas, but it seemed like the number one influence was the Hidden Fortress, and 
I mean, I'd had, like, people before tell me that, like, Lucas copy and pasted the Hidden Fortress, like, that's, like, all he does is just copy things, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, after seeing the Hidden Fortress, I'm like, uh, I think it's different enough, like, A New Hope, like, stands completely on its own, uh, even if it's inspired by that. But, like, maybe things like the pod racing, like, are kind of a little bit more copy and pasted from Ben-Hur, you know? But just kind of, like, the main film, like, people said to check out was, um, uh, The Hidden Fortress and... I guess that's kind of what, like, first exposed me to the Criterion Collection because I rented it, like, streaming from the Criterion Collection. And I it's a, it was a little bit of a transition for me because, like, I'd primarily had only seen, like, American films or films in English. So I was like, oh, I have to really pay attention to this film. Like, I have to read uh, the subtitles because, like, it was the first time, like... I'd seen this film and it was it was interesting to to see it because a lot of it was familiar, you know, cuz I could be like, "Oh, this is kind of like the Princess Leia character. This character's kind of like R2D2. This one's like C3PO. This one's kind of like Darth Vader. This one's Obi-Wan, you know." Um but I kind of um was inspired you know I guess you can say maybe like I didn't steal it because it was given to me like I was like oh like what should I name like kind of like this look into what inspired Star Wars and um there was uh Dan from the Heroes Journey podcast and he was like inspired a galaxy I was gonna go with like the roots of Star Wars or something but it's like oh inspired a galaxy so occasionally we do these inspired a galaxy you know, episodes, and, like, that was kind of inspired by, like, the term he gave to it, and that's why we kind of do these episodes to kind of, like, look at things that inspire us and, like, inspired Star Wars. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Love love the uh, the origin uh, story of that. And, yeah, we do talk about uh, things that inspired, you know, us and Star Wars uh, from time to time, but this one, yeah, and in particular is is really kind of that that keystone as i mentioned in the top of something that in, that inspired you know star wars very very directly um back to your question al what was the first uh, kira kurosawa film uh that i saw i guess i guess technically although i think um, i don't know that he even got a credit for it but it is uh here in his imdb because he apparently uh directed some of the uh sequences in uh torah 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 so that would have been the first one that i saw uh, back in high school but i didn't have any sort of you know connection to uh mm-hmm. that you know akira kurosawa had any part of it or would have even known you know being uncredited um then i have to go a few years into the future taking um some film study classes in uh college and we never watched any of the Kurosawa films in their entirety, but we did watch kind of some sections of uh, some of the films. So Seven Samurai, um, Ikaru, um, Yojimbo, and then uh, Hidden Fortress, you know, kind of in like a compilation uh, kind of thing, just to do some, you know, kind of scene analysis and, and stuff like that. And just to expose us, I guess, to, you know, different, um, you know, kind of movie making uh, mm-hmm. techniques and things you know not from you know the the lens of the perspective that we had so that was kind of my my first exposure to it and then i watched hidden fortress the first time probably um 
probably around then, I guess, probably in my late college years, but uh, that's been a really long time uh, to date myself uh, now, so I mean, it's probably been a good 20-odd years since I've uh, watched Hidden Fortress, you know, fully through, and then I've watched it... Um, Actually, I watched it uh, yesterday um, and then watched it again this morning before we uh, started to record. So it was nice and uh, fresh on it and, you know, what we wanted to talk about here today for um, terms of the podcast. But that's kind of the, the big exposure that I've had to Akira Kurosawa. Um, definitely watching this, um, like Cassia said, it's it's kind of, I hate to use the word like um, palatable, but it's it's kind of, you know, something that you can, <laughs> I don't know, eas- easily identify with because you do kind of see the parallels to Star Wars in there. Um, it's a, uh, it's a very kind of, kind of straightforward story. So it's, it's easy to, easy to kind of get in there and dig into. So now I want to go back through more of his filmology and, uh, you know, really kind of dig into some of these other uh, films and worlds and stories that he told. Um, what about you, Al? What was your um, intro to either the, the Hidden Fortress or the Kira Kurosawa kind of at large? Uh, for me, it was probably actually Rashomon, and I watched that one on a on a whim just because I wanted to understand a Simpsons joke. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I I've seen that one. I've seen I probably saw High and Low after that, and maybe uh, uh, and then I finally got around to this year seeing Seven Samurai, and now now Hidden Fortress. So yeah. He, even though I like respect him as a director quite a bit, I would put him on like my Mount Rushmore of, of directors. I have seen a shockingly low number of his movies. So I need to like actually get through a few, a few more of them. I picked up several of his through a uh, criterion. So I, I hope to actually get to get around to Yojimbo, Sanjuro and uh, Ikiru soon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he had a very long, um, you know, career in making movies, um, as I mentioned, you know, directed his first kind of uh, feature uh, film in 1943. And then his last feature film uh, was in 1993, uh, was nominated for an Academy Award for the film Ran, uh, which came out in 1985 and then won kind of a Lifetime Achievement uh, type of award. Um, in the Oscars uh, there in 1990, um, so definitely has this long career. And yeah, 33, 33 films you're gonna have to get through now, Al. That's that's the <laughs> rules. Uh, so you better get busy. Um, and I know Ka- Cassie is probably going to do all 33 uh, too now. Challenge accepted. Uh, maybe yeah, we'll why have not? To, we'll have to check back <laughs> in on those. You watch you watch like 30 James Bond films earlier this year. You can definitely do uh, 33 Akira Kurosawa films. That shouldn't be too bad. Yeah, I mean I have seen Throne of Blood. Yo Jimbo, uh, the here the Hidden Fortress and uh, Rashomon, uh, but like I think like I kind of need to see them a few more times to really absorb them. But I think what was so cool is like Rashomon like kind of even influenced the Last Jedi as well, kind of like the different perspectives uh, that you see uh, with like Luke. Kylo Ren and Rey and mm-hmm. then it also influenced The Last Duel uh, which is a film I liked kind of on a on a historical book I read um, that was kind of like wasn't really mentioned at all in the Oscars like the year after it came out which I find puzzling. There were a lot of um, yeah kind of parallels uh, there and I mean that makes that makes sense in terms of 
um, you know, kind of the sequel trilogy, because I think, um, you know, kind of whatever your opinions are on those, I think that, you know, the, the directors did take a long, hard look at, um, you know, kind of what we're doing right now, right? The things that inspired George Lucas and, and creating their um, own stories there. So I think that that makes a lot of sense that you would see some kind of parallels and, and things between, you know, these films and, and then the, the sequel trilogy films uh, for sure. So um, let's um, let's talk about the, the movie kind of um, itself now, right? We've talked about kind of the inspirations for it and our background with it. Um, Al, let's start with you. Um, you know, I kind of gave like the brief synopsis of the of the story there, but were there anything or was there anything in particular about the, the story or the characters or, um, you know, the, the way that it was shot and the way that Kurosawa told the story that was particularly interesting to you? Um, you know, you'd mentioned that Kurosawa is one of your uh, favorite directors. Are there, are there aspects of the way he tells his stories on, on screen that are appealing to you or anything that stood out to you here in terms of the hidden fortresses story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's he's kind of a revolutionary director in the fact of just how he could put these huge epic battles on on screen, and he would get like real war tactics and stuff like that kind of showed showed off. Um, you know, he especially kind of does it for something like Seven Samurai. But I think that what was uh, what was really great about this one is just the the way that he's balancing the kind of the comedic characters with this more dramatic story of like trying to get this this woman out and so uh, you know the the princess out and free so that they can like uh, they can get uh, some help and and whatnot restore the throne um so for me this was i i was particularly impressed by just that that counterbalance that he did of yeah here's here's the joke here's the drama here's the joke here's the drama and he's not afraid to like show some some very like dark sides of of people in in this film we have another part where there's a a slaver of women who you know he he is renting out women for the night and blah blah and he sees the princess and he like wants to he wants to start using her and you know get her uh, essentially he's just a pimp um and so i'm just like that's a pretty dark theme to be having in a movie even in 1958 Mm -hmm. um so he's he's it's that careful balance that he does um you know i i found that this one is probably i would say the the least approachable of the of the films that i've seen of his so far and he's a very approachable director, but, and so I it don't, like, I don't mean to say that this one is not approachable at all. I would just say that, oh, I think Seven Samurai or High and Low or uh, Rashomon are just a, a little bit easier to get into. There was, like, uh, an element for myself where, like, I... I did have, like, moments where I felt like there was a, a lull in some of the stuff, but... Uh, you know overall it's a it's a really good one it's one that i also like if if somebody didn't tell me that this was like inspiration for star wars i'm me not being particularly attuned to star wars as as you guys are i don't know if i would have seen it like i i think that i would have totally passed this by and been like yeah it was a totally like star wars uh i 
I would have said like, yeah, Star Wars was based on like Flash Gordon and some other stuff, but I wouldn't have tied it to this one. Should do this one. Okay, that may that makes sense. That makes sense, and uh, probably from you know the the viewpoint of. You know, I don't want to speak for you, Cassia, but, you know, from myself, I turn it on and I start watching it. I'm like, okay, where, <laughs> what can I pick out of here that I can definitely see that, you know, Lucas uh, took and, you know, implemented into, into Star Wars stories. So, yeah, that's, in, that's interesting um, uh, there. I do agree with you a little bit about kind of the lull. The, the movie is, what, it's like two hours and 15 uh, minutes. So it, it does yeah. feel, there are a couple of times, um, and I'm not going to critique Kurosawa because uh, who am I to do that? But uh, I do. It it does kind of it, it feels like it kind of retreads a, a thing, maybe a time or two, um, and maybe that's just kind of our our modern senses of how you know films should be edited and and the links and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of right there with you on that, Al. Uh, but what about you, Cassio? What about you know what about these characters? What about the way that it looks or um, sounds or anything in particular about the movie that you were uh, really you know excited about when you saw it? It looks so stunning in black and white, like just the mountains. I was trying to find exactly where uh, the Hidden Fortress was filmed because like, it was just shot and framed so well. I believe that it was filmed um, in Gotemba uh, in Japan, so maybe one day I'll have to go there um, and... But yeah, I, I wrote down like it looks so good in black and white framed well and the transition swipes kind of reminded me a bit of uh lucas as well so they might just also just be transition swipes you know but like lucas is kind of like famous for them Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but also uh like you said like it is kind of a longer movie and like in some ways it does retread some threads but it kind of mixes some uh, very different tones and like I mean there's even like maybe like attempted rape in this you know but like there's also hope you know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so just a whole lot of tones a whole lot of things going on um, but um, I just find it interesting as well like we have to wait 36 minutes uh, into the film for Princess Yuki to appear. And in my Criterion collection, you know, uh, Blu-ray, she's on the cover. So it, I kind of saw um, some influence, like, on Star Wars. Like, Han Solo doesn't appear until, like, uh, the 40 or 45-minute mark in A New Hope. And in Knives Out, like, Ransom doesn't come out until, like, the same time as well which was directed by ryan johnson so mm-hmm. i i think it's a cool way to balance characters sometimes as you stagger them yeah for sure and it, it does uh, definitely kind of stagger the introduction of the characters obviously you get the um you know the the peasants there at the front and then um they meet up with the uh the general um makabe um and then you meet the princess and then uh, you meet the the prostitute that um you know Makabe is uh, told to uh, to bring along with the party then um, so yeah it definitely kind of staggers the introduction of these characters uh, throughout it has some uh, really great uh, you mentioned it um, Al this one isn't not specifically like a big like war scene but there is uh, some uh, kind of hand-to-hand uh, combat duel which is uh, really mm-hmm. amazing to look at 
um, and you know the way that it's kind of choreographed within the the center of all of these people, and then goes into I don't know, kind of like this canvas, like I don't know, encampment kind of thing is is really really neat. Um, you mentioned the the land the landscape, uh, Cassia, and that was that was one of the things that I kept going back and forth on. Um, it it looks gorgeous, it looks beautiful, um, and kind of this black and white, and you have this very um, like stark, you know, black. Uh, you know shadows and kind of this white uh kind of stone i guess that these mountains are um and on one hand i'm like i'm like this looks like this was filmed like in one like tiny little section of like this little mountain park but at the same time it also looks like it's filmed on like this huge like expansive (laughs) just giant place it was really it was really strange um i don't know to me in that way but it looked gorgeous and i love the way that he kind of used the canyons and obviously um you know kind of the kind of the hills and uh shooting up and down the mountains to give it just this great sort of scale um i thought was really cool yeah and i mean al you kind of messaged me about this like did you guys kind of think like the hidden gold in the wood is kind of like the dust star plans yeah yeah that's kind of what i thought too uh yeah i could i could see that i could see that um for sure um you know especially then as you have uh r2 or you know the bandit kind of the ones that are uh shepherding it uh through this thing and it's you know ultimately not theirs so yeah i I could see that i hadn't uh, personally made that sort of connection when i was watching it so um that's kind of interesting uh al i was uh sounded like you had something you wanted to chime in with there yeah absolutely i did want to chime in when you mentioned uh you know the the battle between um between the two guys with the spear fight um you know that i was i'm surprised at so many other movies of akira kurosawa's that are just like beat for beat like taken like if you watch magnificent seven they steal every single aspect Mm -hmm. of of seven samurai you know, various people die at various times and it's like beat for beat. I was surprised in this one where, you know, we have we have the lightsaber duel between Vader and Obi-Wan. And so I was fully expecting Mifune's character to to die in, in this moment, in the spear fight. And it was actually kind of a really cool way that it didn't, that he... No, he survives. He not only does he survive, he he beats him and, you know, he proves that like he is the stronger one and he's able to kind of bring the other guy to his side. I think that that isn't necessarily shown in a new hope, but I think that that was kind of maybe a kind of like a Luke and Vader type thing where, you know, Luke brings back uh, that he could be playing both Luke and Obi-Wan simultaneously in this in this movie. Um in that he's bringing Vader back to their side by the end. Yeah, absolutely. As he, yeah, kind of, kind of spares him there. Um, yeah, I definitely kind of see that, um, that sort of, uh, that, I don't know, li- like living redemption biz. Yeah. So I can definitely, um, see that there too. Uh, one of the things I also wanted to, to mention here, the, like the, the score, the music of this is really, really great. Um, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, it's, uh, the, the score is like, uh, like crazy long it's like 65 tracks uh which uh no way i would have uh, assumed that because it's kind of this kind of the same theme that just like gently gets like tweaked progressively as you go uh kind of through the story but i really loved the musical beats kind of of the movie um and then something from kind of a more technical thing something something that i noticed and maybe i'm you know imagining it or um 
not thinking about it right. There were a lot of, um, you know, kind of still shots um, in this film. There was not a lot of camera movement. Um, and I think that that kind of is something uh, that I think I see in Star Wars, too, when I think back back on it. There's not a ton of camera movement. It's a lot of, um, you know, kind of these static camera shots. And um, I think here in this film it worked extra well because, um, you know, just to play with kind of the, the scope and sizing of these environments and the characters and stuff. You know, sometimes the characters would be very small in frame. Sometimes they'd be very uh, big and up close, but there were, there was not a lot of camera movement in it. And I just thought that that was, that was interesting. I don't know if that's a Kurosawa thing in particular, or if it's just something I was, um, you know, just extra like sensitive to seeing as I was watching uh, through these here recently. But um, that was something else that I noticed too. Based on what I've seen of other directors from that time, and, and yeah, I can definitely see that from a Kur, from Kurosawa, is that they didn't really have a lot of camera movement and ability to, to move it all around because the cameras were just so ginormous. So they like really plan out their shots. And so you see these like really well-planned shots because they can't get like... They can't do the full sweep uh, that they might want to do. It would be very interesting to see what he would do with today's technology with cameras. Um, you know, it probably is dramatically different since I've never seen Ran or D Dreams. Um, and those are from like the 80s and 90s that, um, yeah, I probably should see what he did with when cameras became smaller. Um, so he, he, during this time, and like the other movies that were from this time, um, you know, he really planned out all of those shots, made sure that they looked very tight. They were probably really just well-framed around every character. Yeah, it's not, they didn't have digital cameras. They can't just like be like, I don't know, improvise. So mm -hmm. uh, just every every frame is kind of like a painting and uh, or an engraving because it's black and white and I, I loved it. Um, and uh, there was one shot I really loved, like uh, Princess Yuki, like uh, she's crying with the flag, kind of like superimposed on her. Um, were there any shots that like stood out to you guys? Um, that's a really good one. The other one that really stands out or stood out to me, um, and it's actually kind of a, a mirrored shot because you almost get the same uh, kind of shot, um, but it's when the uh, the the peasants go are are going in and they're kind of coming across this this hidden fortress area and uh you have the the general kind of standing up there in this um you know kind of kind of precipice that's you know kind of closed in on on both sides uh kind of shadowed there and then you have one that's very similar uh with the princess kind of in in doing that that same kind of pose and then she has that very striking pose that she basically has throughout the whole film where you know her legs are kind of spread like shoulder length or shoulder width apart and she's holding that uh i don't know it's like a reed or something um that she's kind of holding uh throughout this thing you know kind of in in both of her fists uh down and she has kind of that very um imposing image up there and same kind of thing where it's framed like within this this like rock outcropping uh kind of thing was was really cool and then you know kind of the way that it's shot i is probably some sort of some sort of low angle because then it just looked like they were just miles up above like the the peasants when they you know turn and kind of see these characters there looking over them for me personally toshiro mifune just kind of is such a scene stealing guy that almost everything that i like think of even though i know that there were a bunch of main characters of it i just think of like all of his his 
his facial expressions when he looks very stern or when he's very happy you know he just he just has such an iconic face mm-hmm yeah <laughs> oh and i do love when he's uh riding riding on horseback to to get the two uh kind of soldiers and go into that uh encampment and it keeps cutting back to the same shot of him with his uh sword up that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> i definitely definitely remember that one but but yeah that's that's really great and staggering looking um yeah and like i said kind of that kind of that fight especially when he first gets to the camp and like the whole like i don't know like platoon of uh people are are there and you know they kind of make the circle and he's inside of it and the camera is just at this at this kind of high high angle so it's it's kind of looking down on it and it just looks huge like the the scope of it and you know how many people or extras were in in the scene and how like, well choreographed it was yeah you know, stuff like that i thought just looked absolutely absolutely gorgeous fun detail that i might have subconsciously picked up on beforehand but Princess Yuki's makeup, uh, Akira Kurosawa kind of took that actress aside and it's like, we're going to try to make you look like Elizabeth Taylor. And I think they, they did, you know, and mm. it's kind of funny just like to see how much like Elizabeth Taylor inspired cinema, even like in Japan, you know, in 1958 in the Hidden Fortress. And then even like you know, in my humble opinion, the greatest, you know, Disney uh, animated film, Sleeping Beauty, like uh, Aurora, like her eyes especially were kind of inspired by Elizabeth Taylor. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I mentioned kind of the, the choreographed bit there with the fight. There's also the big, um, you know, kind of dance uh choreography that's that's happening um is they're they're kind of blending in with this um with this local uh, tradition where they're having this bonfire uh celebration and they go and and dance and i thought that that looked um really amazing and then it's it's kind of brought up then to the next morning where it's very kind of kind of stark and and gray and ashen as they're literally digging through the ashes to to get their gold back um i i really liked that sort of uh composition of you know kind of this big elaborate party and then you know back to you know literally digging the the gold out of the the ashes of you know kind of this fallen kingdom that the the princess was you know trying to reestablish. yeah it's it's interesting because i think that the um chanting uh, i wasn't expecting it the first time i was watching it and what they say at the Yamana Fire Festival is the life of man, burn it in the fire. The life of an insect, throw it into the fire. Yeah, when you realize the world is dark, life is just a dream. Lose yourself, yeah. What did it make you guys think? Well, I'll kind of, I'll kind of speak to it, uh, Cassia, there. Um, you mentioned, you know, you know, kind of this chanting, and that's that's what's happening at kind of this bonfire celebration and and things, and they're they're singing and dancing, and at the time you're not really thinking much of it, right? Because they they basically start, you know, engaging in the celebration when they're about to get caught out by these these soldiers for having their you know bundles of wood that's that's full of gold, and they end up pushing it into the fire and going and and joining in this um, this you know kind of dancing and celebration. Um, uh, sort of thing um, and then it's really not until you know kind of the end of the film where our you know heroes get uh, captured um, and you know she's she's you know talking about how you know it's it's okay 
um, you know, that they didn't complete their mission uh, necessarily. It's it's okay that they got caught. And, you know, it's because, you know, for her, um, it was, you know, about living through this journey more so um, than, you know, getting the gold back and things because that was kind of out of their hands at that point. And then she goes on to kind of recite uh, that chant, like those lines from, from the dance. And it's kind of at that point then that you're really sort of, you know, kind of digesting what that what that chant was about and what it meant you know to to her and to uh her people um and i thought that that was that was really kind of kind of beautiful and obviously then it moved that uh, i don't know is the general or whatever there that it had captured them and then aids and and their escape but it was it was really kind of a beautiful way to tie in um you know kind of this kind of the section that they were you know kind of forced into participating in uh due to hiding but you know how ultimately uh the sentiment of that really you know kind of paid off and changed the the paradigm here for uh the princess in this film yeah i mean i was like there were many um i was gonna say many highs and lows during corona but it's mostly like (laughs) the high was like a low and then there was like a lower point during corona you know a great time like looking back on it i'm like wow what a time to exist you know and like yeah um so like keep in mind like it was kind of like at the onset of corona and like the allure of like working from home and like just interesting stuff happening was gone and like i was kind of like at one of my lower points so uh just like the quote like from princess yuki she gives i have enjoyed the journey the happiness of these days i would have never known living in the castle i've seen people as they are without pretense i've seen their beauty and their and their ugliness with my own eyes so i just think it's a beautiful quote um and it kind of encapsulates human existence like it's good and bad you know like you kind of have to have the whole picture to see things clearly and um yeah like this film like I'm glad I I've seen it and maybe I wouldn't have seen it if not for the Star Wars connection but like I kind of mentioned earlier like this film is much more known and beloved in the west probably than in Japan thanks to the Star Wars connection, but I, like, as I said, it's a good gateway to Kurosawa and more uh, Japanese cinema and international films, and I think, like, it has, like, accessible characters, like, uh, you can kind of see, like, um, fairy tale kind of story levels in it, and, like, more serious stuff happens in it, so, um, yeah. I guess, like, that quote kind of, uh, kind of encapsulated what I, what I thought about it, and, um, it stuck with me all these years later. Very cool, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, all right, let's, um, let's go back to, to Al, did you have any thoughts in particular about, you know, what Cassia said there about kind of that, that chanting, that celebration, uh, sort Mm -hmm. of party aspect of the film, and then, um, I guess then kind of in mm-hmm. in conclusion, if you want to speak to that and then just kind of, you know, generally just some closing thoughts about Hidden Fortress, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So I think yeah, when I when I consider the uh, 
some of the aspects of of what uh, the the song lyrics are, as well as that it's this giant fire festival. Uh, you know, they're having a big bonfire. I think of phoenixes, you know, rising from the ashes, becoming new people, uh, kind of going through that fiery tribulation and being able to emerge a different person. I think that what we get from a, a story like The Hidden Fortress is showing that very greedy people can can become new. I, I think what one of the uh, best aspects is that the two are constantly bickering about who's going to get the gold over and over, and then at the very end, you know, they've got a, a single gold sheet to, sh- to share between them. The two of them decide, you know what, I don't really care about it. Like, you just hold on to it. And maybe that, like, they they would choose to argue about it later on or something after the movie. But, you know, it shows selflessness. I think that what all of these characters... And what, what Japanese cinema is often about is kind of selflessness. It's duty. It's that characters realize that they can't just be greedy. They have to do something that is above them. Um, so all of these characters, they, they are willing to sacrifice themselves in order for a better outcome to exist rather than just for their own outcome to exist. I think that that's kind of a, a central hope of Star Wars as well in that, you know, there, there are individual characters who, who are kind of greedy and want their own thing, but... For the majority, the people who are part of the Rebel Alliance, they they have to be selfless. And yeah. sometimes that means they do have to sacrifice themselves in order for the, the team to be able to escape or for them to be able to survive another day. But it's that selflessness that I think Japanese cinema brought to, um, brought to Star Wars that, that it can really thank for... Uh, you know that's probably one of the the biggest themes that that Star Wars can can thank Akira Kurosawa for for bringing to it. Yeah. Yeah, and it it does a a great job of examining it, and you kind of kind of hit on it there. Um, how the the bandits kind of throughout the story, right? They're uh, you know they start the story and they're and they're friends, but they're you know you know mad at each other enough and then they find this gold and uh they really kind of start to bicker and uh almost kind of go their separate ways over this gold but then when they lose the gold they, they get back together and you know they're like you know oh we're gonna gonna be in prison you know promise we'll still be friends when we're out of prison or you know promise we'll still be friends when when we die and promise we'll still be friends when we when we go to heaven right it keeps like progressing uh, throughout the story but every time you know kind of kind of they're you know professing their uh their friendship to one another you know some more gold gets thrown you know across their path and they're like oh you know uh, strike that <laughs> no more friends uh getting gold you know i'm taking you know half this gold um and go my way and then you know kind of ultimately then at the end when they do get their reward for you know helping to get the uh, general and the princess uh through the enemy lines there and they're given their reward you know uh they're able to kind of put that and be like here you take it no you take it we'll just you know as long as we can be friends and um i thought that that was that was really cool and you kind of mentioned it there uh, you know in akin to uh the rebel alliance and definitely then i think that's kind of a uh parallel with uh han solo something you brought up you know earlier in the episode hmm. uh cassia kind of that uh same sort of you know ideal right when 
confronted with with riches uh what does that mean and then uh where does friendship lie and then ultimately friendship and um you know uh, your outlooks uh, win out in the end hopefully anyways yeah and i was gonna also mention that uh, not only did this film inspire new hope it also helped inspire padme's you know uh decoy situation in the phantom menace and Mm-hmm. That was hard for younger Cassia to really understand. Like, I don't think, like, if I put together, like, how old I was until I, like, put together, like, the whole handmaiden queen situation in The Phantom Menace, like, I think I'd be a little embarrassed. But I think we have that to thank for uh, The Hidden Fortress as well. And. The horse chase kind of also reminded me of the speeder chase in Return of the Jedi, but maybe there's lots of other parallels that um, other other viewers can kind of pick up on. But yeah, I just uh, really recommend it and just kind of like seeing more films and we're, we're definitely not, you know... Uh, making any money from pitching the criterion collection but it's a it's a good resource to seeing more of these um different films like uh especially from 1958 that that collection is a really great way you know you know obviously to get uh, releases that are that are coming out now but to find um you know these these gems of movie history that you might not be as familiar with or um you know, just, just something that, you know, might pique your interest. You have to almost think about it like, you know, back in the day going to like the video rental store and you're just kind of, kind of browsing, browsing through those and things that might, uh, might pique your interest. And that's a, a really great way uh, to do it there is to browse the criterion, uh, selections because those are all selected for one reason or another. And, you know, their importance to, uh, cinema and the history thereof. So, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely give those, uh, selections, uh, look so and you don't even have to buy them you can also just subscribe to the criterion channel for a for a month or two maybe that'll be cheaper than renting them all individually for you cassia when you want to watch his entire discography yeah he doesn't have every single one of his on there but you can watch uh, a good chunk of them i would probably say yeah at least half yeah, and whatever they're calling HBO Max, I think it's just Max now. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the future it'll be called Axe. I don't know, but um, I think like Max has uh, a lot of his uh, filmography as well. So yeah, and those that, yeah. and those I think are the Criterion um, scans of the films too. So oh, wow! See, you you learn things each day. Like Al kind of got me hooked on like the Criterion Collection and the sales, like the the July fifty percent off sale. And yeah, it, it's it's a fun journey to go on if you love film. So yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's that's the Hidden Fortress and kind of the inspirations of it and uh, what are key takeaways were from the the film so let us know out there if you've uh, watched the hidden fortress what you think about it or what your favorite uh, kurosawa film is uh, let us know that and we'll have to check it out and make sure uh you're checking in on on al al what do you, what do you have going on anything people can can look into like i, I mentioned you have the the mm-hmm. uh, online um 
magazine that you put together, um, I think each month, uh, that has some good, great content in there. How can, can people check that out or connect with you online or anything else? Yes. People can, people can check out uh, the little magazine where I review one video game, one movie, one, uh, album and one TV show every month. Um, you can just find some links to it if you just follow me on Twitter and my Twitter handle is Mahatma Blondie. There's no uh, no E at the end. So yeah, like just like Mahatma Gandhi, but a blonde person instead. Um, so go on there, find me. Um, you can also check out my podcast called The Movies That Move Us, where I have been able to interview a, a handful of folks who um, are connected they uh, they find connection in in movies and i find it really cool when we we get somebody who feels like a deeper connection to humanity as a whole because of a movie so check out those those two things awesome well thank you so much for coming back on al it was a pleasure having you on talking about the hidden fortress today yeah um, thank it you. was it was a great uh, opportunity for me to like i said go back had been you know uh, over 20 years i think since i'd seen this so uh, it was great going back and revisiting it and it definitely uh has inspired me to go out and uh, seek out some more kurosawa works and uh check those out too but um i think that's going to wrap it up for this one cassia yeah for sure and i don't know if i personally did the hidden fortress justice but i just wanted to uh say that i'm not recording in my usual area so sorry if the sound quality doesn't sound as good and there's just some uh noise that i might not have been able to control but um hopefully if there was like uh you still found the episode like uh beneficial but yeah uh thank you so much for listening and uh may the force be with you inspired a galaxy is an imprint of the orp and can be found on spotify Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. And you can connect with the ORP on Twitter. It's at Old Republic Pod. And if you want to connect with me on Instagram, it's at Astro underscore Droid underscore. And the ORP and Inspired a Galaxy Podcasts Patreon can be found under www.patreon.com forward slash Old Republic Podcast. The Inspired a Galaxy theme was composed by Alistair Shoreman. Alistair can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash Alistair Sounds. This episode of Inspired a Galaxy has been brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. May the Force be with you. <laughs>